0: Hello everyone and welcome to Inside the Arena podcast brought to you by Piers Arena. Inside the Arena podcast is a mini podcast series that focuses on mental health, well-being and every other issues or challenges we all facing in our lives day to day. On each episode, we will be picking a guest from our ever-growing Piers Arena community to talk about their views on mental health, well-being and most importantly how they are personally affected by these issues. I'm your host, Tori. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very, very powerful guest on the podcast, and I'm very, very honored to have her on. Good day. Thank you very much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, you're welcome you're very welcome i'd like you to start by introducing yourself and tell us what you do
1: okay Um, my name is modupe abu um a wife a mother and also professionally a writer
0: that's great um thank you for all you do so once again um i really really am honored to have you on here today. And this is a conversation I know it's going to be very, very impactful and people are going to benefit a lot from this. So thank you very much for taking the time once more. Thank you. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about mental health and how our mental health um, is affected as a result of the things we go through in life. So with that in mind, I would like you to um, describe mental health using your
1: own words. Mental health, I think, is, the, is basically the state of our mind and how how well we are, not just in physical appearance, but also in our mental abilities and our ability to cope with situations, not just physically, but also emotionally as well. And I think it's a very, very important part of our health as a whole because it's something others may not see. If someone is down with maybe malaria or something, it's obvious and people sympathize with the person. But when something is wrong with our mental health, most people don't observe it, and it's difficult to get support for it. So I think, and it affects every other part. Mental uh, a problem with our mental health affects both our physical, and at the end of the day, it affects a lot more. So it's important that it's very, it's a very important part of caring for our health.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that, and that's a very, very beautiful way of putting it. And that's that's the main reason why I like to get everyone's perspective on what they think. So, yeah. So with that in mind, um, are you personally affected by mental health or is this something you struggled with in the past?
1: Well, I, I think everyone of us once, once in a while I get to a point where we feel down. And I don't think that really identifies as a mental health struggle. But when it begins to affect daily functions and our perception of ourselves, I think then it classifies as being something wrong with our mental, there being something wrong with our mental health. And I can say yes, that I have struggled with it a lot of times in the past. And it's something that still lies on the horizon, but it's something that i by God's grace, been able to overcome. So knowing that it's a point that is actually feasible and possible, it's something that I have struggled with yes at some point in the past in my experience, especially with my husband's health.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's something we all do experience. Um, So what events or what series of events um, led to your struggles with mental health? Well,
1: in um, 2018, my husband had an accident and we were married for about two and a half years by the time when he had that accident. And unfortunately, the accident affected his brain, which meant that he was in coma for a long time. And eventually, when he came around, he has severe physical and mental disabilities such that he is bedridden. He's not able to communicate, move or talk or participate in anything at all. It's more or less still in me a little, is what the doctors call a minimally conscious state where they are not really certain of how aware he is of his environment. But even if he's aware, he's not consistent and it also is not able to help himself physically in any way. So when he had that accident, I assumed that everything was going to be all right. I felt everything was going to be all right. I believed everything was going to be all right. And when it wasn't working the way I expected, I began to break down. But not in an obvious way. In fact, it wasn't even obvious to me until it got to probably a critical stage. You know, but my husband was a pastor and then I was a pastor's wife. And we have, I've have always had, I have always had a strong relationship with, um, with God in a sense. I've always been a very faithful Christian, but that experience shook my faith and I believe in everything. You know, when the accident first of all happened, I, I didn't cry. I don't even remember crying for the first two, three months. I don't even remember wishing or regretting or thinking or calculating. I know I felt stressed. I felt terribly stressed physically with all the hospital running around and all the rest and the, the constant fear that he was going to die. But I wasn't, I wasn't sad. It was, um, I think about three months after the accident when the doctor told us that this was probably going to be the case for a long time. It was at that point I knew that all all the stress just seemed to just hang off my body. And I knew that at that point, I wasn't just only experiencing physical symptoms anymore, of the stress, I was beginning to experience mental symptoms. And it was very stressful physically, but it became more stressful mentally. When we had to take him home, even the, a week before we took him home, he was still being fed by, through a feeding tube. It it had a a tube down his throat too to breathe through a tracheostomy. But they were able to remove those things just before we left the hospital. And then at first, I was eager to leave the hospital. I wanted my life back to normal. I was tired of the hospital. Up to now, I have a fear of hospitals. And I, I I was ready to go home. So I was eager to go home. Since the doctor said they've done what they can, I was like, okay, let me go home and see what I can do. But I did not bargain for what it would be like being home with him, alone with my son. And so the physical stress increased because in the hospital, of course, there was the support of nurses that would help do some things. I could go out and come back. I could not travel for a while. But at home, I couldn't. And I realized that I was responsible not just for his physical care, but also for keeping him alive. In the hospital, if something were to happen to him, it would have been where he was sick. But at home, I realized if something is to happen to him. They would have the first question I'm going to get is, "What happened? You know, what did you do or what did you not do?" So all of those things were weighing down on me, and I got to a point where I was, I was blacking out. I, you know, I would leave, especially towards the end of our stay in the hospital. I would leave the hospital and I would get home, and I would not really be able to recollect how I got home. And then I was continually having. Um, impressions that I felt was not was like hearing a voice in my head that's the only way I could put it and hearing a voice clearly that seemed different from just you know there's a difference when you're thinking about something and when it's as if it's somebody else that is putting the thoughts in my mind and i would be thinking of you know thinking of suicide thinking of of just running away and not stopping you know, just going as far as possible or you know thinking of hurting myself And it was becoming persistent and I was no longer able to see the positive in the situation. This was a few months after we got home. And then I had to reach out for help. And by God's grace, I was able to get the help I needed at that time. And I realized that I could overcome that stage and that phase. And I I came out actually stronger because after that lowest, after that falling to that depth of being, of getting to the bottom, when I began to feel better emotionally I also began to feel better physically and I was also better I was also able to better handle the situation spiritually as well and it was at that point that I began to think of writing my book and I actually wrote the book in a few weeks so uh, I think that was my experience with mental health issues and now I know that I still have periods where I I break down and cry but never to the point I was then and never to the point where you know I wish things were different but not to the point where I would wish that I could do something else about it, you know. So that was my experience with mental health as a whole, as, especially as it regards to my husband's situation.
0: Yeah, that's, that's totally understandable. And I'm so, so sorry you had to go through all that situation. I'm so sorry about your husband's health and what happened to him. And like you said, you're in a better place now and you were able to deal with that situation, especially um, being suicidal. Um, I'm really, really grateful you're in a better place. I'm glad you were able to find the help um, that you needed. Um, I think um, what most people don't understand about being a caregiver is it takes it takes a lot of toll on, on someone. Um, right. Just... Yeah, because just thinking about a situation where a loved one is just sick and then the hospital or sick and it's down. You know, the stress of just doing everything for them, you know, even if you know it's just for a short period of time, sometimes you just like come on, get get well and just stand up. I'm tired of doing all these things for you and the rest of it and it's always a very, very challenging moment now thinking about. That extending, like you rightly said, the doctor said he was he he's probably going to be that way for a very long time, and having to come to terms with that reality must have been something really really um, heavy on you. So I I in that way I can almost relate to what you're saying just by talking about someone being sick and taking care of the loved one that is sick alone is is something. Yeah. I'm really really sorry that, that that happened and speaking of the help you said you got um what help did you get and how were you able to come out of that state where you were blacking out and you were feeling suicidal
1: Okay um first of all I was able to get comfort from words uh, you know sometimes when you're in a difficult situation it seems as if you know all the words you've heard it before and words actually do not seem to comfort a lot, especially the cliches that we hear, like everything is going to be okay. In fact, I remember there was a time I was actually consistently rebelling against that phrase. Anytime somebody tells me, don't worry, everything is going to be okay, I'm going to ask the person, who told you? Like, how do you know everything is going to be okay? I was, I was rebelling against those cliches. when I hear something like, um, it is well. My response was always, how is this well? You go back home to your family and you're telling me it is well. How is this well? well I didn't want to hear any of those cliches. But I had a deep conversation with a friend, especially one night around at about 11 p.m. I was really feeling down and alone and afraid and worried. And so I called him and I told him, this is how I am feeling. And I'm really thinking that this life is not worth it. And I'm just spiraling down. And he tried to comfort me. I wasn't really listening. But the fact that he was taking time to talk with me at that hour for a long time, spending so much money. And then the next day, very early in the morning, he was in a different town, but he came over. He was a pastor, a friend of the family too. So that action, that um, that action alone, made me feel valued. That somebody would leave his home that early from a different state and arrive so early just to make sure that I was doing okay, made me feel that okay, there's something here that is worth fighting for. If people have this love and believe in me, then I can also believe in myself. So the 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 and he spoke with me. As well, so the things he said, and I guess my faith also was rekindled in his quotations and experiences, so that is one way that i I feel one thing that helped me overcome, and then also the support of friends and families physical support now I mean taking the burden off was also helpful, though there were many things that I had to do myself that nobody else could have been able to help me with. But the ones that could have been done, when I had people come around and do them, helped me to be able to also overcome. And then having people help me make decisions, not when the decision rested on me alone. Somebody put people around to say, "Okay, let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. And then it helped to remove that fear that I was constantly feeling. My fear constantly was, oh, I'm going to do something that's going to hurt my husband even more because at the time we were in one hospital and he hadn't recovered fully. Then he just came out of coma after about a month or so. And I noticed that he was getting worse in the hospital. He was losing weight to the extent that he was, you could see practically every bone on his body showing through the skin. And then his skin was so dry. It was so scaly that you could pluck out scales from me, it. it was completely dried and white and scaly. I didn't even think the human skin could be so scaly. And he was his urine was the color of coke. So from my own experience, I knew that he was dehydrated. I knew that he was not properly fed. I knew that he was sleeping away. And so I was insisting, let's take him to another hospital. But we had to go through a lot of rope because we were not the ones paying at that time for the medical bills. And then so we had to go confirm and reconfirm and then also because, um, because the hospital itself refused to release him. They were saying that he was in no condition to move, but I knew that he had to move. And by the, at this time, I was alone with him. And then unfortunately, or fortunately, the hospital went on strike. So there was no doctor. There was no nurse. He was in the hospital. He was, he was getting worse every day. And I had to make a decision to move him, regardless of what every other person said. So at that point, I was like, okay, now I'm taking his life into my hands. And I felt physically, if people would have looked at me then, sure, those people that were around during the experience were like, wow, you were so strong during the whole thing. But I was, I was basically on the verge of falling off. But especially because I realized that I was doing what was going to endanger both of us, but what I felt was for his greater good. So it, despite everything, I was able to take him on a vehicle by myself and i drove him i took him down to another hospital in another state over 4 hours and honestly that journey i felt like that was going to be the end of it and i knew that anything happened to him everybody was going to kill me because everybody advised against it but i knew that that was the next thing to do eventually thank god we got to the hospital and he got better but in fact from the second third day after we got there he started improving he was seriously dehydrated and malnourished and there was no brain no way his brain was going to heal when his body was just going away The doctors, they were surprised that he was actually coming from a hospital. They thought maybe we had kept him at home some year before for him to get so bad. But that move saved his life. But it also drained me a lot mentally because it made me feel at that point that I was hanging on to his life by myself and people did not understand what needed to be done. And that period for like three, four days, I didn't eat at all. I didn't sleep at all. I didn't brush my teeth or even brush my hair. I didn't even know it was possible for somebody not to sleep at all for three days and still be existing. But that point was where I think I started to feel broken. And so when I eventually reached out for help and I had people understand that these decisions need to be made, not just by me alone, but by others so that I don't feel the complete responsibility of what if something goes wrong, then it's me. If something goes right, then it's me. So when I had others help me with decision making, I think it is the mental burden because I now felt like we are a team working together for his health. So I could make decisions and know that I would get the support. And I could also step back on some decisions knowing that I would not receive the blame at the end of the day. So I think it also helped me. And then being able to also have people to depend on up till today, this is about going to four years after the accident. I have two, three friends that I know that I could call at any time and I could talk to that wouldn't judge or that wouldn't say stop sorry or that wouldn't say stop crying or that wouldn't say um, you should be strong by now. Rather, people that understand the situation and they just listen and provide comfort. I think it also helped me at that stage to overcome that depression. Also, ever since then, to keep me on a on a strong ground, knowing that there are always people around that I can lean on. And also, I think an important part of my recovery and also the fact that I've been able to stay on track is my faith and belief in God. I got to a point where I lost faith completely, where I told God you don't exist. If not, why would you allow a pastor to be in this situation? I mean, why would you keep him like this? He, He was 33 when he had the accident. We'd been married only two years. Our son was just a year and a few months old. So I was like, God, there's no plan of in this. I mean, this is just terrible. This, even if the devil caused it, if you are powerful enough to do something and you don't do it, it means you also caused it. You know. So I had a season where I was lashing out seriously against God. I was so angry. But growing spiritually also helped me to be able to overcome the depression. I realized and I've learned that everything doesn't end in this life. There's something else ahead of it. So there's a plan, even if it doesn't seem like so. And so growing, having the comfort that comes through my faith has also, also helped me to overcome depression then and to also keep on um, a positive level, optimistic even now.
0: Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm glad you have a lot of positive people around you. I'm glad you've been able to set yourself on this path and you're getting better and you're also handling the situation way better. It's, it's pretty evident if anyone just takes a look at what you do and what you've been doing since then. It's just um, so much, it's, it's, it's very inspiring to watch. And I also understand the fact where you talked about um, you were lashing out because he was 33, like you rightly mentioned. He was a pastor. He was basically at the prime of his life. And he he was, he's also a first-class graduate student from Babcock, right? From Babcock okay. University. Exactly. Okay. So, um going going from that and within a, within within almost like 15 minutes after you saw him right you fifteen yeah. minutes yeah you said when he was stepping into the bus that particular day you were with him and 15 minutes yeah. later everything just changed yeah. I can I can almost I, I can't even put myself in that situation I can't even imagine how terrible and very terrifying and how terrifying that situation was um because you you also spoke about um you you had a happy life you you said getting married um to him um was the happiest day of your life the day you got married to him right
1: oh yes yes it was it showed up to today' the memory that that makes me smile because we we really fought for a long time for the marriage. It was almost like it wasn't going to work. There was a lot of hindrances. And so when we eventually got married, it was the best thing that happened to me. Up to now, though, it is the best thing that happened to me. I was so excited and happy. And we had great plans for our future, especially our son when he arrived. You know, we planned a lot of things. And up to now, I still I still try to see if we could still work with the plans. But some have to be discarded, some have to be adjusted. But... Married my marriage to my husband was actually a marriage that was based on on love and it was something we really desired both of us and we, we, we passed through a lot of water to get to that point. And so it was something I really felt God wanted us to do. And I, that's why I was shocked and surprised that it was going the other way. And sometimes people have been loose in their comments and have sensed people say that maybe that's why god didn't want you to marry him you know but and those comments hurt but those comments are also part of the reason why i think people struggle with issues mentally some people just open their mouth and say the first thing that comes into their head and they don't they don't really realize how much it hurts the next person but when it comes to this particular comment as it relates to my marriage um I have let this not bother me anymore because I personally have realized that there was a reason that we have to spend those first two years together. And even if that was all, it was worth it. And then I always say to myself that if the day we were getting married, if somebody would have come to me and told me that this marriage, you are only going to be happy in it for two years. the was one is going to have an accident. He's going to be bedridden for years. You are going to have to suffer through a lot financially, physically, mentally. Don't do it. With all this knowledge, even if I had it, I would still joyfully have gone to that wedding and still accepted gladly to be wedded to him, even if it was only for those two years. Because, and even if it is only just to stand by his side throughout this struggle, it would have been so much worth it to me. So I do not feel like I lost something. In fact, I feel like I gained. Sometimes I feel it's almost a privilege to be the one to stand by his side through this trial. And so, but my point in it is that sometimes negative comments can also worsen somebody's mental state if the person is not strong enough to withstand it. So most times I tell people, if you don't know what to say, just keep quiet. When you try to comfort people, you don't have to say things. You know, It's not compulsory you must speak. You know, in the Bible, when Job's friends went to see him, they kept quiet for days. But instead they started talking. That's when they spoiled everything. So sometimes when we try to comfort people, it's easier, it's better for us to be silent because sometimes our words hurt more than, more than we know. And the person cannot tell us because in my own case, I feel that some of those comments come from a good place. Now I say they mean to hurt you. So I just let it go before it bothers me. But it has, I have learned to also control my own comments when I see people going through tough times. Ask yourself a hundred times, is this thing going to be interpreted the way I want it to be interpreted before you say it, because sometimes we push people off the edge and we don't even know
0: yeah I totally agree with that um I've said this I've I've said that over and over again people need to educate themselves about a particular situation before they come online and just talk or even if it's if it's um face to face or even if it's real life and not online yeah. people people really really need to educate themselves about about situations and if we're going to actually get somewhere as a human species we actually have to practice compassion we have right. to be we have to be very very compassionate and that's the only way we are going to scale through anything and everything because if we don't have if, if we are not compassionate towards our neighbor and towards the, the next person there's no point in being human at all that's that's the only way we move forward and yeah people should do better like I always say if, if you don't if you don't want to take the time to educate yourself about a particular situation please don't just say anything yeah,
1: don't comment.
0: yeah I, I I totally agree with that if, if you don't want to do that just don't comment please um yeah I'm uh, moving on you you spoke about the importance of forgiveness. You said um, you were very angry at your husband and you were giving him like the silent treatment. But you were able to, yeah, because something happened like two days before the accident. So you were very angry at him. But you were able to forgive him. And two days later, you told him you actually love him, like just right before he was stepping into the bus. And you also said, um, you are actually very, very glad he had that from you before the accident happened. Because right now, when you say I love you to him, you don't even know if he understands what you're saying. That was that was that was very, very touching. And you you spoke about why it is very, very important we we let things go and forgive each other and move on. So is that something you can actually speak more on, like the importance of forgiveness?
1: Yeah, because we don't know what happens at the next point. You know, I, I think about that experience a lot. If if I had held on to the grudge or if I had held on to the the hurt that I was feeling at that particular time, it's something I would have regretted a lot over and over again. And I think I apply it to my relationship now with other people. Because when I step away from somebody, I don't know what the next moment is going to be like, positively or negatively. So I think it's very important for us as individuals to be able to let go of guilt and anger because when we think about it in a bigger sense, you find out that there was really no reason. There may have been a reason, but you know, after time it, it becomes almost negligible, almost something you can't remember. Especially for couples, because most times the, the fact that you are close to the person means that you are going to step on each other's nerves a lot. And if we hold on to grudge and anger and resentment, it becomes something that piles up. And at the end of the day, it's not something that really benefits us in any way. I've learned that to forgive is much more important than to keep record of the wrongs. Because if I had not let go at that point in time, if I had continued with my normal way of responding to difficulties when we have challenges as a couple, it would have been something that I would have seriously regretted because I know my husband would not have, may not have kept thinking about it negatively, may not have been angry with me. And But the fact that you didn't get the opportunity to apologize would always remain with you, even if the person that you actually wronged was not holding a grudge against you. But because you didn't apologize, you continue to feel that, that um, um, regret within yourself. So I think it's, it's a very important part of even being at peace with yourself and being mentally healthy also. We have to be able to let go of wrongs and hurt because people must hurt us, whether knowingly or intentionally or unintentionally, people are going to hurt us. And the closer people are to us, the more they are able to hurt us. So we have to let go, we have to put ourselves in people's shoes. And that's why I also say too, that when I hear comments, I tr- I never hold it against the person. You know, I've heard a lot of things. I've heard a lot of comments that would have kept me bound in this um, burden of anger, but I let it go almost immediately I hear it because I know that if not, feeding on it is going to make me more resentful. And then at the end of the day, I may also have regrets because I do not know where I will be tomorrow or where that individual will be tomorrow. A lot of people have said things that would have made me to want to respond. But most times I try to keep it in. I try to look beyond what the person says to the person's character and who the person is to me and just hope that the person didn't mean it or didn't mean to hurt with his word. So I think it's, it has been an important lesson for me to be able to forgive, to let go, not to count wrongs. And it also helps my own physical health to be able to see people and know that I do not hold grudges against them because I do not really know what happens afterwards. I've had residual um, phobia from this, after this incident with my husband. And I think I've, one of them, like I said before, is actually a fear of hospitals. I still have fear of traveling. I used to be somebody that loved traveling. But now when I think of traveling, I get physical physical anxiety. In fact, I have nightmares the day before. When I enter into a vehicle, I see visions of the vehicle you know, plummeting. It takes me a lot of energy and zeal. And at first I was thinking it's just a natural fear until I recognized that no, this is something beyond fear something else but I can't say I fully overcome that fear now but I've been able to control it so that I can actually travel the first few months and weeks after the months and years after the accident I was not able to go anywhere without having literal panic attacks consistently but now at least I can manage to travel and return back so I cannot add to those burdens I struggle with the burden of holding other people and in negative light because of things they have said in error they have done in error and so i think it's important for all of us as individuals to be able to choose our bodies and holding on to grudge is one thing that we shouldn't would be very bad for our mental health and i've learned that
0: yeah i totally agree resentment resentment is the devil this is something i say in my personal life all the time Resentment will take you places you don't want to go to
1: yeah you
0: you really don't want to go to um speaking about the phobia you said you you're currently having about traveling and the hospitals and the rest of it have you ever sought out like professional help for for that
1: Uh, i haven't really i haven't but at the point i knew i felt i should because it was becoming something that affected me physically such that it was no longer in my mind. I was now having physical symptoms. But when it began to ease off, I began to feel maybe it's something that would go away with time. But I it hasn't completely gone, but I'm hoping that I'm getting there, especially with the traveling path. With hospitals, I don't think I've been in the hospital since then, especially except if my husband is sick. And if my husband is sick and I have to take him to the hospital. I do, but I get very anxious about it. But it's not compared to the attacks I feel when I have to travel or when my son has to travel. I feel very, very scared. I feel a kind of certainty that, oh, this journey is not going to end well. Especially if my son is crying beforehand and says, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, you know. And my mind begins to tell me, this is a warning. Don't go, don't go, don't go. You know, But... It's something that I have forced myself to do and it's actually getting better. So I hope that it will continue to get better. That's all I can do, hope.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. And speaking about professional help, I think that's something um, we can talk about off, off, off air, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, we can talk about that because I really, I really, really think getting professional help will be a very good thing.
1: Yeah, I think too sometimes a lot of or struggle with a lot of mental health issues that could be eased by just getting professional help. But I don't know if it's our culture, or if it is our I don't really know what it is, but we find it difficult to to get professional help for mental issues as much as we get for physical issues. I think it would actually help in a lot of cases.
0: Yes, I totally agree. And that's why I'm I'm also um as well I'm, I'm just hoping you take that advice. But well, that's something we'll talk about of of air. Um so how's your son handling all these issues or this this particular situation? How's your son handling it? How old is he now?
1: Oh he's five years old now.
0: So he's like fully aware of the situation and what's going on?
1: It's difficult for me to know, but at first he was knew it was about a year plus when we came home. He's I think at first he was afraid of my husband. He knew him to be his dad, but he, was, he didn't want to touch him, didn't want to come near him. He was afraid and it worried me. I didn't want to force him as a child, but I just I gradually tried to introduce him back to his dad with pictures and painting, and then we we're always keeping all of us around the same room. And eventually, he formed a bond with his father that was even stronger than before the accident though before the accident he had a very strong bond with his dad i don't know why whether it was just a phase at that point or something but he it was it, it was about a year plus at that point he was saying the only word he was, words he was saying were daddy and water so the first thing he said was he called everybody daddy including me and water those were the only two things he would say so but as I was, that's why I was uncomfortable with the fact that he was afraid of him, probably because we saw him in the hospital and he was different and he had a lot of tubes. So from that point, he was afraid. But after about three, four months, when he was about two, two plus, he seemed to have overcome that fear and grew very close to him. In fact, he talks with him. He, t- he threatens me, I will tell daddy for you. I'm like, okay, so what's your daddy going to do to me? But he, he does that, it re- reacts to him. As he responds to him as though he is healthy. And he always prays, adds to his prayer that God should make his daddy walk and talk. Though I pray for a miracle, I hope for a miracle, I believe a miracle is going to happen, but I also try to, to let him have that experience of wanting a miracle, even though I do not know, I cannot guarantee the outcome, but he, he believes in a miracle and he always says, don't worry, daddy will walk and talk. And he talks with his father normally. He likes to spend a lot of time with him. He likes to tell him stories. And then everything that happens when he comes back, he wants to talk, tell his dad about it. So I think maybe he perceives that that is the way it's supposed to be. So sometimes he asks questions. and Like the other day he was asking me, um, is it only men that have accidents and they cannot walk and talk? I said, no. He said, but daddy was not the only one in the bus. I said, yes. I said, then why can you not know, walk and talk? So, you know, I get all those questions sometimes when it enters his mind, but basically, I don't think he sees his father any differently. I think he just hopes and believes that it's just a a a phase, that maybe something that would pass later on. But I like the fact that he's comfortable with his dad, spends time with him. Sometimes he even wants to feed him. Sometimes he wants to stay with him at night when he, maybe he has a nightmare or something, he'll be saying, where's daddy, where's daddy. So I think he reacts with him normally and. He also tries to comfort him and also comforts me too. My son is the reason why I can't cry like a like I would love to, you know, because he doesn't want you to cry. And then if you are, if, if he sees me sad, most times the first thing he asks is, Is it because of daddy? I'm like, why, why would you assume it's because of daddy? It's not. And he said, don't worry, daddy will walk and talk. I'll okay, thank you. So I usually, I cannot be sad because my son wants me to be happy. And so he's one of the major reasons why there's always joy and light in the house because I don't want him to be sad. I don't want him to feel as if he's missing out on anything. His father is here, so he shouldn't be living life as though he doesn't have a father. And I'm glad that he's growing up smart, intelligent, and very understanding. Seems a lot wiser than his age, actually. So I think he's handling it well enough for now as he grows older, probably, he will understand it better. But I'm hoping that before he gets much older, a miracle would have happened.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. I really hope so too. And um, yeah, you you can tell he's a very smart and intelligent young man. Um, I visited his page on Instagram and you can hear him talk and he's very articulate about everything. And the bond with his father, is also something that is on full display on there, also. So I would encourage a lot of people yeah. to go check out his page. And um, it's just very, very inspiring. Like I, I literally spent over an hour on his page just looking at, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's something. It's it's really, really powerful. It's a powerful experience. It's, it's 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 things that humble us as human beings and brings out that compassion we were, we were talking about earlier on. Yeah, and speaking about awareness. Um, and why conversations like this need to be held more in the open. Um, You shared a video on your Instagram um, where you were, the video was very, very educating. You were talking about a situation about how people treat people with disabilities in public. Like um, they see someone um, with a disability and they just, they stare and they shake their heads in a very um, awkward way. And you said, it doesn't sit well with you. You don't like it when people do that. And, and you, you, you also gave like, um, like you gave a perfect alternative of what people can actually do. Um, you talked about a situation where it's, it's way much better if you walk up to the caregiver or you walk up with a person with a disability and ask simple questions like what happened to you and how are you doing, instead of just staring in a very weird way? Is that something you can speak more on?
1: Yeah, that's something I've struggled with over the years. And I think that's what makes a lot of people keep someone who is disabled locked up in their house, because they don't want to get those stares. And I know that it is a situation that offends me as an individual, as a caregiver for my husband, especially because my husband cannot be offended for himself. So it offends me doubly, both for myself and for my husband. I don't think it is right when you see somebody who is different and then you stare at the person. Whether it is a disability or something different, like albinism, for instance, or maybe um, a situation that is obvious and something is wrong, you don't have to stare. It's, it's wrong, actually. It's beyond wrong. It makes the person uncomfortable. And it makes me feel doubly uncomfortable. And I know it has happened a lot of times. In short, it happens consistently. It makes you want to, want to hide, but it is a decision that I have made to allow my husband to live his life to the fullest. I'm giving him the best quality of life attainable that I can with whatever resources I have. And that includes not cooping him up in the house, but rather being able to take him out of the house once in a while to church, to programs, just out of the house. And the other day we are in the hospital and then. Uh, a lady walked us walked up to us and was like, oh, um, I'm sorry for what you guys are going through. Is there any way I can help? Of course, there's no way she can help, but I appreciated the fact that she was able to walk up to us. And in fact, later in the day, there was a way she could help because the whole place was hot while we were waiting for medical attention. And she she had this little rechargeable, rechargeable fan, and she gave it to us. And I really appreciated the gesture. And she didn't go back to her seat and sit down and start looking at us. You know, it's awkward, but she didn't do it. So, I guess maybe people feel that natural inclination to want to find out what is going on, but you can't find out what is going on by staring. And staring only makes people uncomfortable. And it's worse when, when I look at the person and the person averts their gaze. If, you know, if you want to stare, then why are you afraid of staring when you, when you receive the stare back? Don't look away. Just say hi or greet or something. When someone has looked at you, don't just look away as if, you know, I don't really know how to describe the feeling it gives, but I was thinking I was the only one until I, I went to a lady's page on Instagram. Her daughter has Down syndrome and she was saying the same thing. I was like, oh, that really happens everywhere. And it's, it's not only me as a caregiver that is upset by it. So I think as individuals, we need to be educated and aware on that. And when you see somebody that is different, that is disabled in any way, or that is different, you shouldn't stay, you should resist that or to should stay. And it's even better for you. Sometimes we feel that maybe they will not want, they will not want to talk with me about it. But for me, I don't know about others, but for me, it's better you even walk up to me and ask me about it. I'll be willing to tell you as much as I'm, as I'm able to about the situation that is we are going through. And then you can even have an opportunity to stand together with us. And but it's better than staring, staring from afar and letting your mind wander of why your eyes is gazing at the person. It's absolutely wrong. It's better to walk up to the person if you want to, if you really feel the need to, and offer maybe a word of comfort. For me, it doesn't really matter. In short, people have come to me that are complete, complete strangers, and I've said, oh, can I pray with you? Despite the fact that I would not be the person normally who would want to stand outside praying, but I wasn't offended by it in any way. In short, I felt the person's compassion and love to be able to break that barrier of strange, being a stranger and be able to walk up to you and say, can I pray with you? And I'm not saying you have to do that with everybody, but if you know you must do something, don't stay, walk up to the person and make a connection. If it's a child, just greet the child. Especially when we talk about people on wheelchairs, the fact that somebody is on a wheelchair or the fact that somebody cannot talk does not mean that they cannot hear or that there's something wrong with the way they process things mentally. So don't, the fact that somebody is on a wheelchair, doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them otherwise. So talk to the person. And I what sort I've of appreciated with my husband's friends and families and colleagues that still come around. They are able to talk to him as though he can respond. Because the fact that he cannot speak doesn't mean that he may not hear you or understand you. So if it's, if you only want to talk to somebody that is with a disability, don't talk down to the person. Or if you want to talk to the caregiver, don't talk um, sadly. Or, you know, I, I talked about it. In that video, like sometimes some people look at me and they shake their head. You know that shake of pity. It's, it's, in short, it annoys me. it hurts and annoys me. It makes me feel like you are thinking that his life is the worst, you know like you have, you have you are living a better life or so or something. While I understand the thoughts in the heart which is oh, this person must be going through a lot, but the, the gesture comes out as though you are you are feeling that this person's life is terrible which is not, well, it may be the case in some people's situation, but definitely not the case in mine. You no, know, it's not the case in my situation. While it looks terrible to you, it doesn't mean that it's the worst situation possible. And I don't want to feel that way. You know, do I want my son to be with myself and my husband and see people shaking their head at him as though something terrible has happened to this person? Let your sympathy reflect in useful gestures, a smile, a greeting, and not a shake of the head, because at the end of the day, it comes out wrong and offensive and makes the person uncomfortable. I've had a man stare at us for more than 20 minutes. I honestly felt like walking up to him and giving him a piece of my mind, but I was in a church setting and I didn't want to make a scene. So I bore it it for long, but I just allowed it because of the setting where I was. But it it was, it made me realize that if you don't actually approach certain persons, they are going to keep doing it consistently without remorse or concern. And it is actually very, very wrong. You can't stare at somebody for five, 10 minutes. If you have something to say, say to the person, if you want to do something, do it. Don't stare because it's really very, very painful and embarrassing. And very, it, honestly, it's, it shows a very low level of, um, knowledge or should I say literacy for it for someone to look at others that way so I understand the the that like maybe coming from but I think it's something that we have to overcome individually and like you said the knowledge is important for me to pass the knowledge across because it's something that I think we can overcome we can we can stop it as a community we can stop it we can teach our children not to stay at others; rather, walk up to them, strike up a conversation, talk with them, encourage them, exchange numbers, pray for them, pray with them, but don't stay.
0: Thank you very much. Um, thank you very, very much. That's that's very, very educating, and that's that's it's it's a eye opener for um, everyone. It's 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 really something of value, and I really, really hope. Um, people listen to this and make a difference in their ways of approaching situations thank you very very much once again for like telling us how that situation makes you feel I'm very sure a lot of people would would get it that's that's why I keep saying the only way we can better understand each other is for us to have real conversations and get to know how the next yeah we, we really need to know how the next person is feeling there's this thing about we we look at a situation we have a certain abs- absorption in our head like we think we know how to approach it then we approach the situation that we we, we tend to act what is in our e- what is in our head we act it out that's a very very wrong way of dealing with any situation um having conversations is really really the best way forward and that's that's the main purpose for this platform. Let's let's have conversations. Let's educate ourselves as a society so we can move forward that way with, with a better understanding and be more compassionate. Um, so yeah, thank you once more. Um, you said something really, really powerful um, on your Instagram page. You said, um, your pain will be your push to your gain. And I saw that and I just, it stopped me on my track. And I was just looking at that particular quote and I was looking at it all over again. And I was was trying to really understand what you meant by that. First things first, can you really explain what you mean by that?
1: Sometimes, certain experiences are what pushes us out of the zone we were comfortable in. If someone would have told me that I would write a book, I don't think I would ever have believed it. I know I always used to write. I used to write, but just for myself, maybe write notes for my husband and stick it on the wall on birthdays and anniversaries and those kind of things. But I never would have written a book if we didn't, if we weren't in the situation that we are in now. And when someone is feeling pain or hurt or in a difficult situation, It's kind of very hard to look beyond that situation. It's very hard. I mean, like I told you earlier, I've been in a situation where when people say it's going to get better, I'm not even interested in hearing it because I'm only seeing what I'm going through now. And it doesn't look like anything good is going to come out of it. But when we take a longer vision, we are able to see that something positive can come out of every difficult situation. And sometimes, Sometimes it takes a difficult situation to bring out something positive. And so I think when we are going through hard times, we should learn to appreciate what has come out of it and what could come out of it. For me, it was the, the opportunity to write, the ability to write. And I discovered that I had not just on a personal entertaining level, but an ability to be able to reach out to others. And then I've also seen through my husband's situation, the fact that we have a lot of faithful and good friends, which I never would have, would have known that these people could have been such persons to us. But in this experience, I've come to gain a very, a very solid community of friends that I don't think I would have had the opportunity to have experienced a relationship with them in that way. If not for even my husband himself would have felt it in this situation now. So, and there are many other things that that have come out of it that I may still not be aware of now, but with time I will be aware of them. So I think every difficult situation that we go through, every hurt, every pain, every trial, gain can come out of it in one way or the other, if we just allow ourselves to. To see it, allow ourselves to experience it. Just like sometimes, some people have difficulties in one in succeeding in one area, and it pushes them to another area, and they find out that oh, they could have succeeded in other areas as well. So rather than focusing on the thought, on the gloom and doom, on the darkness, on the pain, when we shift our gaze to something else, we're able to say we're able to see something good coming out of it, regardless of what it is.
0: Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. And um, with that in mind, um, what would you say to to someone who's listening right now? Who's going through a similar situation like yourself? What is that thing that you tell that person? I'll
1: uh, say so hang in there. Just keep holding on. There are times too that I have woken up and felt like I don't want to do this. I don't want to do today. I just want to close my eyes cover myself here and pretend as if everything is okay but we cannot afford to let go and I would say to that person look for something that you value something that is of worth to you something that is important to you and keep your, keep your thoughts on that thing it could be a family member it could be a friend it could be your job it could be something just something that you know motivates you something that keeps you happy and hold on to that thing to that thought For me, it is my son and my husband as well and when I don't feel like doing it anymore, when I feel like just falling off, I think of them, I think of my husband, I think of the fact that I have to do this for him. I think of my son and I know that he's looking up to me, he's trusting me and you know he's watching and waiting for me and so I have to be strong for him. It could be anything for you. It could be your religion. It could be The family. It could be your job. It could be something that you love doing. It could be a friend. But just realize that there must be something that you love and loves you back. There must be something that you can actually hold on to to keep you encouraged. It is easy to give up, but it is harder to fight. So don't choose the easy route. You have to to realize that everything that happens in life happens for a reason, whether you understand that reason or not. And so we have to keep going because if we give up, we will, not, we will not find out what it could have been, what would have been at the end of the journey. We will not find it out. But if we keep holding on, we will find out what could have been. And then you have to fight. You have to, you have to do everything that you can. I've always told myself in this situation, and I've always prayed for the wisdom to know what to do, when to do it, and to know what not to do. Because sometimes when we don't know what to do or what not to do, it becomes a huge burden. But then you have to trust God for wisdom. And you have to know that whatever decision you make at any point in time is the best decision that you could have made. Regret shouldn't play a role in your life now. When you are going through a dark time, it's very easy to want to say, oh, if I knew I should have done this, I should have done that. Why did I do this? Why did I do that? Despite the fact that my husband's situation was an accident, sometimes I still think of things that I should have done, how I could have done to prevent the accident or to help him or, you know, and then regret keeps making me spiral backwards. But we shouldn't regret. Any decision that you have made has been made. You cannot unmake it. Regretting it is not going to change it. So it's better to keep focused. And then also, if you know that you are really down, like we talked about, it's important to reach out for help. We are human beings, we are made to rely on each other. It's easy to want to be the superman or the superwoman, but we must rely on others, rely on one another to lift us through difficult times. Asking for help should not be something you are embarrassed or ashamed of. Ask for help, even if somebody else has, has failed you when you asked. Ask again and again and again until you get the help that you need. And most importantly, you have to trust God. Because I don't know where how we can survive on this earth without a belief in something greater than us. You have to believe and trust in God and know that he will work it out according to his will. When it comes to my husband's situation, I have a belief. I have the faith that God is going to restore him back to what he was before. But I also have the confidence that if that doesn't happen, if everything goes the way it should go medically, if it remains like this for years to come, I know that it is because it is what would have been best for both of us. And so I'm no longer in the stage where I get disappointed by the outcome. So while you hope for the best, pray for the best, and work for the best, in short, currently I'm working towards getting another round of treatments that I'm hoping will help improve his condition. So you work for the best. You do hope and you do everything in your power and then leave the rest. We can only do what we can do and trust God that the outcome is what he wants it to be and he's going to make it perfect. So I know that tough times are tough. We cannot really understand. Nobody can understand your situation. I always say that no two situations I ever like. Recently through my page, I met a lady I met two ladies actually that their husbands are in similar situation like my husband from having a brain injury and being exact, almost exactly the same situation with him. And they were both married just a few months before the accident and all that. But yet I find that our, our, our response to it differs a lot. And even I find myself confused at what to say to them sometimes, even though we are in almost the same situation, you know, because nobody can really understand your pain except you, except you. And so just trust that something is going to work out for me. Don't expect people to understand, regardless of whether they are in the same situation. But just find comfort from the fact that everything is going to work out well at the end of the day. That's the trust that we have and the belief that we have, that whatever happens, we know that it is what would have been best for us at this point. And so when you feel down and hurt and feel like giving up, think about the fact that others have pulled through and then you can pull through as well.
0: Yeah, I, I really agree with that. Like I totally agree with everything you just said. I really hope someone listens to that, take that to heart and runs with it because it's really, really great advice. And thank you very, very much for giving those for giving that advice it's it's yeah. it's very powerful yeah just hearing you talk and how articulate you are it is it is really evident that the right in you always comes out and you said something earlier um where you talked about um you've always held on to words and that's simply that's also maybe a large a large part of the fact that like you're a writer yourself so i saw um also, a post you put up on Instagram. It was a picture of yourself and your son, your husband, and I think your sister and a friend. And you wrote in the caption, um, my inner strength comes from my friends. I have a very close group of friends and family, and we all help each other through other times. You also wrote, um, a second, a second quote where you said, um, family is not in, is not an important thing, it is everything. Yeah. With yeah, with that in mind, yeah, what is the importance of a positive community for people struggling with mental health or other personal issues? Because, like you rightly said, you talked about the fact that you had a lot of friends to like help you make decisions, take some burden away from you. And the fact that they didn't abandon you really, do, really did a lot of good in your process and is still helping you out to this day. So in your own words, what is the importance of a positive community?
1: Um, having a community is very important. Um, most people die of a broken heart much faster than before they die of their illness. And I can say with certainty that even for the support I have had from friends, of course, not all the friends that I expected, but the ones that remained were the ones that really gave me strength to continue. If not for their support, friends and family, I don't think myself and my husband would have come this far. So if, if you're having a tough time, it is important to find your friends. And it's important not to block them out too. I know at a point in time, I was trying to block everybody out. And I was so sad and down. I wanted to just be left alone. But it is at that point that you actually need to reach out to somebody. Of course, my friends and family were the type that were not going to allow me to be left alone. So they reached out consistently and continuously. And because of that, I was able to come out of it too. But if your family and your friends are not reaching out, you have to be able to reach out to them. because a community is what is needed to go through the kind of difficulties that this world throws at us. And if I didn't have that, I don't think myself and my husband would have pulled through. At the hospital, there were people in, in up to 30 or 40 persons who were willing to donate blood when he needed blood. There were a few persons present there when we knew that he needed blood. But within 10 minutes, you know, the whole place was filled up with people that wanted to give blood. And he was able to get the blood that he needed. And he was transfused a lot about that first week. People were coming into the hospital at 12 midnight to give their blood or to get tested. Even though they were not setting their blood Their they would be the same blood type. But they were willing to leave their homes to come and get tested by that time of the night just to donate blood just because they had. So physically, that community saved his life. And then mentally and emotionally too, that community too saved his life because they were there for me. So they kept me strong enough to be able to care for him. They are persons that I could call at any time and tell them what the situation is and they would be willing to step into it and take action. Of course, financially too, a community is important if you are going through difficult situations that need finance, because you can never do it alone. There are some bodies that you cannot just carry alone. And we got to that point very early on. But people were willing to step in, take responsibilities that wasn't theirs to bother about. And it also helped a lot. And then also physical presence. People were willing to stay. Even up till now, there are persons that have left their home. This is three years after. And there are some persons that have left their home to come to stay and just provide comfort or physical help. And when my husband first had the accident, you know, there are things that men do at home that we as wives, we don't even notice. But when I had to stay at home with him, and it was just me and him and my son, that's when I knew that there were things that need to be done. Simple things like maybe the generator gets bad would make me start crying because I cannot fix the generator. And I know it's something so simple. I don't even know who to call to fix the generator. I didn't even know there were people that fix generators or to fill the gas. You know, Things that had always been his responsibilities, but there were people that were willing to step in that I could call and say, oh, look, I'm in this situation. It's a tiny situation. It's a small thing, maybe like even changing over the switch to another um, another line or something as simple as I'm going to pay the Nepal bill. But there are things that I had no idea of how they were done or how to do it. Of course, with time, I learned so that I don't depend too heavily on others. But the people that were around who were willing to do that. People are willing to leave their homes at any time. People are willing to lend us their vehicles, you know, lend us things just to make sure that we were comfortable. And it helped. It helped a lot. So if you are going through a difficult time, you need to have family. You need to have friends. You need to have, even if it's just one or two that you can trust and that you can lean on. And even if they disappoint you, don't give up. Don't say, oh, friends have disappointed me. Try again. Make another connection. You never know when you'll be able to meet that person or that those people that will be by you. And I do not want to believe that somebody can be continuously alone, all alone, without being, without it being that they are blocking off themselves and their emotions. So we have to take the risk. I know many persons have failed me. Many persons that I really relied on have broken our trust. Persons that I knew that my husband would have done much for them have withdrawn from us, you know. And I know there are many times that I called for help and I was rejected, but it didn't stop me from knowing that that person or those persons didn't doesn't mean that I have no one else that I can turn to. So we need to be able to have a community and we also need to be a community to others. That's one thing that I've constantly reminded myself that it is not enough to be the center of pity. The one that you 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 expect everyone to do something for you, but you feel that you are not qualified to do anything for others. And so every time I've made it a conscious decision to also try to reach out to others, if my friend has a small situation, maybe she, she, she gives birth through caesarean session. Now, considering what I'm going through with what she's going through, it seems as if what I'm going through is tougher, you know? But yet, I, I remind myself that to her, what she's going through is tough too. So I cannot say, well, because my situation is hard, I can't do anything to help her. So I try to still reach out to my friends, not necessarily the ones that are reaching out to me, could be a different set of different people, but I try to reach out to them as well, and other persons, to also be a community to others, to also make an impact, to not swallow up myself in my own misery such that I cannot see others, what others are going through. And sometimes it's even therapeutic to help others, even if it is not in, in physical ways, but to provide mental, emotional support to others as well will help you to be able to bear your own burden better. So it's important for us to find community, and also for us to also be part of a community to others as well
0: yeah that's that's very very powerful i agree like that's really really powerful and yeah there's 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 a misconception that the broken can't heal or help the broken that's a lie um the importance of community is um you can't be 100% all the time and no matter how terrible your situation is you can also be of help to other people and you embody this you it is very very evident very clear i see it um all the time through your post on social media you come with this whole positive energy and yeah thank you very much for all you do it's it's really really beautiful to watch it's it's very inspiring very powerful you are also a graduate of um the university of benin of health education yeah and the reason why i said that was because um there was a post on Instagram where you talked about what your dream job is, although you didn't fully complete that post. So um, I just wanted to use this opportunity to ask you, um, what's what's your dream job?
1: Well, My dream job, I must say, has changed over time. At first, I studied health education and I really have a passion for health, I think, which is why I'm also able to help my husband better because I, I'm able to do the things that, normally would not have been expected of me, but health-wise, I'm able to do them. Sometimes when I even talk with the caregiver, we had a conference with some of his doctors and they were like, um, are you a medical personnel? I said, no, I'm not. So, but because I have this flair for, for medical things, I was able to learn easily. So I was able to take, take a lot of the medical care in myself and do it effectively. So I, I used to want to be a a health personnel But then I discovered that I love teaching, especially children. So I wanted to teach children, which was my plan with my husband before the accident. But then the accident brought out the writer in me. And now my dream job is to write. To be able to get other people who have gone through difficult experiences to share their stories, either anonymously or with their names, depending on how they wish. To be able to write their stories into books that others will see and be encouraged. You know, I wrote my own story after I read someone's book. I was feeling really down and depressed. I was feeling really down and depressed and I found that book and I read it. After reading it, I was so encouraged. I was like, if somebody can go through this and yet still be strong, it means that I can do it as well. And so I thought to myself that maybe somebody could also hear my own story and say, if if this person can go through this, then I can also do it too. So I wrote my book. So now my passion, my desire is to help to get persons to who may have gone through heartbreaking situations to be able to share their stories in a book because books outlive us. And many years from now, somebody could read this and identify with our own pain and be able to gain strength from our own experiences. And it's not just about the high times. It's not just about the I survived, but it's also about how low we fell. And so someone who is at that bottom point too, when he reads that oh, somebody got to this point and was able to come out of it, will also know that there is hope but right now, my dream job is to be able to get people to that point and at the same time to be able to get them beyond and above that point where they can also write their stories and they don't have to be writers you know that's the point that's where we' coming in help them to be able to establish that um properly written book, even if they are not writers, just tell the story, and then we are able to write it out for them. And also, I think I still have the passion for teaching. I've been teaching my son for years now, though now he's in a school anyway. But helping children to learn how to read and write themselves is also a goal that I've been pursuing. But basically, because of my husband's situation, whatever job I do now has to be done from home. Because I cannot really leave him for more than a few hours, one or two hours at most. So I have to always be there. So I've shifted to things that I could do. For, I can do from home in order to be able to fully support him as well and not leave him alone at home.
0: Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, speaking about um, writing people's stories and in a book and sharing that. Listen, um, first things first. That's a brilliant idea. I would really first like to say that, like, commend you on that. And listen, if there's any way at all I can actually help with that, listen, I'm I'm on board because, wow. um, yeah, 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 I am. Because when I was when we were, um, because there's actually a team behind this whole initiative. When we're actually talking about this effort and talking about um creating a space where people can come share their stories and people can learn from it. And as a result, get better. I will see life differently from people's perspective. Um, I believe there was someone who said, um, "Ah, but uh, the people do that now, there are platforms that do that and the rest of it. And someone that was very, very brilliant just simply stood up and was like, listen, we need more of this in our society. It can never be too much. It can exactly. That's that's the point. It can never be too much. Let's part of the I'm also truly, truly hoping that people listen to this, start off whatever they can, and let's just grow this thing. Let's let's put the world out there. Like conversations need to be heard. We need to see the world from different perspectives. Being in our bubble we think we're safe, but it's never really a safe space. We really need to understand yeah. how the world works.
1: Yeah, Let yeah, from- our experiences make it safer for others. That's why I really appreciate what you guys are doing as well, because with some of the podcasts I went through and I was like, what the people are saying are real, and there are things that people experience and pretend as if they never experienced it, which makes other people experience it as well. Recently, I was talking with somebody who was sharing an experience of um, abuse as a child and Talking with her made me learn certain things that I could now do to protect my child. And I was thinking, if more people could actually hear what you just said, they would be able to protect others from having this experience. You know, but we don't get the opportunity to share those things, which means that people have to go through what if we had shared our own experiences, they wouldn't have had to go through it. Because the things she said, I think that I know that people do often, and yeah, there were things that put her at risk of that abuse and I learned what not to do with my son and what to do and the places I know that I used to feel comfortable leaving him in that now I know I'm a bit watchful about it in trying to protect him. But that's because I listened to somebody else who had been hurt in that way. And so something good came out of her heart, even if it's just in protecting me and my son. And if it was shared on a wider base, like this podcast that we are having or written down or something else, other persons can also gain strength and encouragement and learn lessons from these experiences. And I think it's worth it. And it can never really be enough. I don't
0: even think it has even started to be enough. Man, man, thank you very much, man. I like, I like what you just said. And uh, speaking about the experience about um someone who was um, molested as a child, yeah, that's 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 a perfect example. That's a practical example how having these conversations in the open can actually go a long way, like really, really go a long way. So yeah. I would, I would really say this again. If there's any way. Um, I can actually help or any way at all okay we'll talk about it basically we'll talk about it like I'm really really interested like and this is this is also me using this opportunity to say to people out there like whatever we can actually do to make the world a better place like there's there's over 200 million Nigerians for Christ's sakes and there are over 7 billion people across the world and we can tell people's stories and we can have a better world by simply yeah. by just having conversations conversations need to be had and thank you very much for that initiative and like i said we'll talk about it more off air and how we can go about it or how i can help in any way um yeah so um i also saw a video where you talked about your goals for 2022 and one of your goals for this year is actually publishing your third book yeah. and And more so importantly, you said um, your previous books becoming bestsellers. Now, um, that's that's a very, very wonderful goal. That's that's a good goal to strive for. And um, with that in mind, uh, how can people actually help you achieve this goal? Where can they find your books? Where can people find your books and buy your books? Okay. um, Thank you so
1: much for asking that. Um helping me to achieve my goal, buying um, a copy please, of
0: the book. And um, please please speak out a little bit. Sorry.
1: Okay. Um, buying a copy of my book would be very helpful to go a long way. And the books are available on Amazon, or you could check on my page, the links are there to purchase any of the books. The first one is the book about the accident, it's a story about the accident, my husband's accident, and how we coped. And the second one is a devotional on Bible promises that have actually helped me, all these years. And the third one, which I'm hoping will come out this year, is actually a continuation on how far we have gone from when, from where the first book stopped to this point. And it's actually going to be a story on love and acceptance and strength. And it's going to be a wonderful one when it comes out. But for now, you could purchase any of those books on Amazon. Or you can go through my link so you can get them here in Nigeria as well, if you wish. If you contact me on Instagram, I'll be able to find out how to get it across to you. Um,
0: yeah, thank you very much. And I think, um, what are the titles of your books? Um, you, you the first didn't book
1: say... is titled um, Whispers of Hope in the Dark.
0: Whispers of Hope in the Dark. That's the first book. And the yeah. second one is? The
1: second book is titled God's Guarantee.
0: God's Guarantee. Wow amazing titles, and I please, 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 everyone, anyone listening to this, please, um, we can actually um, support mudupe um, by simply purchasing a copy of our books or the two of them actually, um, it will go a long way. Please, 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 um, a lot is riding on that. I really hope, um, yeah, people do that. And um, I know you you talked about being very scared of traveling, and getting on the road and just scared of your of your son being on the road also, but um, part of your goal you actually listed out for 2022 is um it's to travel
1: the world
0: <laughs> exactly. <And laughs> you I wonder said, how I'm going
1: to do that with my son,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you talked about um, at least visiting somewhere with your husband yeah. and your son, and that's something you really um, you really. Hope you can achieve this year. um So, um I guess my question is um if you had the means right now, where would you love to visit with your husband and your son? I would
1: love to visit Dubai.
0: Okay. And why Dubai? Too close. If you, if you don't mind me asking. Why Dubai?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In when you think of traveling out, you think of Dubai. We'll filled <laughs> our minds and our eyes with it it would be a nice place to go for like two weeks with my
0: husband and my son. <laughs> yeah, that that would be a very nice place to go to. And yeah, I really hope you get you get to to have that experience.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, too. Yeah, I do really hope so. So, is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: Oh, I'd like to especially thank you for the opportunity to have this gist with you.
0: No, don't mention it. We underestimate
1: the importance of speaking. And after talking with a three year, five year old every day, it's usually nice to talk with someone else. And it's also good to be able to talk about the situation as it is. And also we'll be able to encourage others. So I really, really appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak on your podcast. And I hope that everyone that is listening will keep coming back because you guys have a lot of good episodes. And if you are just listening to this as the first one, you have to go back and listen to others. And if you've been listening, please stay on. I think I will also be a regular listener too. I really, really like the content and I appreciate the fact that you guys asked me to speak. Thank you so much.
0: Um, thank you very, very much. Actually, The pleasure is actually it, it's It's an honor to have you here. And I really hope Um, this conversation helps out even just one person. And thank you very much for the shout out also. And um, (laughs) so um, where can people find you online? What are your social media handles?
1: Uh, My own personal page is um, modupe underscore abu. But if you are looking for writing content, but if you are looking for the form, it's in my son's page, heliaza underscore abu.
0: Um please, what's your son's handle and again, please? Can you say that? Eliasa
1: underscore abu.
0: Oh, that's eliaza underscore abu. And yes. your own social media handle is modupe, modupe underscore. Per. Okay. Um, I'm actually gonna attach those handles to this episode when we put it out also. So people okay. can easily, yeah, people can easily find that. So once again thank you very much for taking the time to have this conversation with me it has truly truly been a great conversation and um i really really appreciate the time taking the time off to like um come on it really means a lot to me and it means a lot to my team or to the team also like it means a lot to the team also so um thank you very very much and um yeah i do have something to say so before we go off i would really like to leave us with a quote from our guest today and she said we can't control circumstances but we can control our response to them that was very very powerful and uh, thank you very much once more um, i
1: hope
0: yeah i hope someone picks that up so do take care of yourself and enjoy the rest of the day I like you
1: too. thank you
0: yeah Thank you very much for listening to this conversation. To support this podcast, please like, share, leave a comment or a review. And also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at peers underscore arena. Thank you and see you next time.